this will be pure torture for Rick. I'm here for it. So, you know, I I would I'll go ahead and and say that this book was not difficult to get through, and and I appreciate that. That is true. Um, so, like that, it it is already one up on Dragon Haven, at <laughs> the very least on that end. <laughs> to its credit, it's also about four hours shorter. I mean, anything anything to make that book shorter would have been a massive improvement. But uh, for listeners yeah, that are new to the podcast, Rick, unlike me, is not a speed up your listening experience type of person, except for <laughs> Dragon Haven, where I think you know, he actually got up to double speed. You know, you say that, but uh, I have a confession to make on that end. Oh. Apparently, I'm I'm only that way with books that like I want to read oh. <laughs> because <laughs> Dragonhaven, uh, uh, where the crowd ads sing, and then this book. This book I did on double speed, and so it was only like <laughs> it was like an hour. Like I listened to probably the first hour of it on on normal speed, and then I like slowly crept up my speed until I was at double speed because th- it also helps that the narrator like doing this. He's he's got a very deep, slow, like methodical way of speaking, and yeah. so that it was much easier to understand at double speed than it would have been for, you know, a, a author or a uh, narrator that, that reads quicker. But. Yeah. Every once in a while I get a reader that like pronounces every word and I'm like, well, I don't normally listen on double, but this will definitely be double. Normally I'm like a 1.4 kind of girl, but like, right, right. Oh, the other one that you listened to on up, up tempo was interview with the vampire. I had that oh. one on like two and a half because the oh. reader was so painfully was, slow and the book was, was so painfully slow like <laughs> but listen to our podcast on should, interview with a vampire it is worth your time oh yeah that is that is a good one but we're not here to talk about interview with a vampire we are here to talk about pet by akweke imezi i believe that's how it said that's how it was said in the the uh, audiobook i think yeah. so akweke um, yeah yeah I'm I'm gonna stick with Emezi. That's that's a lot easier for me to pronounce. So um, fair, but uh, yeah, that and then I guess we should also introduce ourselves. I'm I'm Rick Fox. I am an author here in Nashville, and I I am an unironic endorsement of the Spanish Inquisition. Apparently, <laughs> on uh, that introduction, I am Michael. I am an aspiring author, also here in Nashville. And I have lots of golden feathers. And we're opinionated. So I guess we can go ahead and just like jump straight in. Oh, we should do the... the yeah, let's do the back of the book summary. Um, yeah. And then I'll talk a little bit. Well, do you want to do you want to overview characters, and then I'll talk a little bit about an overview of the plot. Yeah, that sounds good. There are no monsters anymore, or so the children in the city of Lucille are taught. Jam and her best friend Redemption have grown up with the lesson that the city is safe for everyone. But when Jam meets Pet, a creature who some might call monstrous, but in reality is anything but—that's questionable. <laughs> she must reconsider what she's been told. Pet has emerged from one of her mother's paintings to hunt a true monster, and the shadow of something grim lurks in Redemption's house. No one has encountered monsters in years, though, and Jam's quest to protect her best friend and uncover the truth is met with doubt and disbelief. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> yeah, that, that description I find uh, misleading in a number of ways, but I'm sure we, we can get into that once we've talked about the characters and the... Um, so review. 
the plot itself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I actually would agree with you. Um, and I was reading along on the like book blurb and it's, it's very similar to the audible version. There's a couple of minor differences, but this is, is not the story that I was expecting when I chose this book, because all I had to go on was the back of the book blurb and right. Like, yeah, it looks kind of <laughs> cool. So here we are. I, yeah, I, I definitely was set up for something different than what we got. Cause I, like what I was thinking is, okay, there's no monsters in this world anymore. Okay, cool. They, there were at one point like some kind of hideous creature that, that, you know, went around and there's this new monster that exists in the world to hunt the monsters that are hidden. That sounds super cool and really fun. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm down for that. Uh, but they are using monster in a uh, unusual way. So, but I'll, I'll, let me go ahead and, and, uh, oh, I'm doing the characters. You're doing the overview. So yeah. why don't you knock out the overview and then I'll, I'll get into the characters. All right. So pet, um, is a story about a girl who, um, is growing up in a Nigerian village called Lucille. Um, oh, it's in Nigeria? I didn't realize that. I didn't so, catch that detail. So I should clarify. I believe it's set in Nigeria. That's where the author is from. Um, and okay. there's an, there's, I actually wish I had listened to it because there's a number of distinct dialects and mm-hmm. modes of speaking that are more common in certain countries in Africa. So my yeah. guess is that it is set in Nigeria. Um so Jam is the name of our main character. She, it, this book has kind of a magical realism feel to it. Um, but I would say that, that Jam is a young woman on the edge of puberty that is also <laughs> autistic. So she reads a little bit younger than she's actually portrayed. Um, a lot younger, in my opinion. <laughs> we can get into that. Well, at points, uh, yeah, we'll we'll need to get into yeah. that because it's it's more complicated than that. It, it's a little it's a little more complicated than that. So Jam is a young autistic, um, selectively mute girl who lives in this world where everyone tells her there are no monsters, and then one of her mother's paintings comes to life because Jam bleeds on it, and a monster mm-hmm. comes out of the painting. Turns out that monster is actually there to hunt what in her world would in Lucille's world or in the world of Jam, in the world of the city of Lucille, is a real monster, i.e., a human being that does bad things. Um, and no one will really believe Jam when she says, Well, this being that looks terrifying is here to hunt a monster in my best friend's house. So she goes on an adventure to save her best friend and things get a little dark and twisted and then everything is wrapped up with a trial at the end. Yeah, I, you you could phrase it that way. I think that uh, I'm thinking of something different when I think of the trial at the end, but we'll, we'll get into that. <laughs> also, the uh, monster kind of becomes Jam's friend. Well, the pet, pet becomes yeah. Jam's like, friend and experiences some amount of change from who pet actually is um over the course of this this hunt for a monster so pet is there to hunt a monster pet initially um jam thinks that pet is a monster and they go on an adventure together to find the real monsters and get rid of them 
that yeah okay yeah i think that that seems like a i don't want to give yeah, too much away about the characters or the details of the story <laughs> before we get into it that's fair um I mean, I'm going to give away a lot of details in my in my character summary, I think. But uh, probably, but if, I'm going to interrupt you. So <laughs> that's fair. Um, so you pretty much described uh, Jam pretty well. The only things that I would I would add to that is I don't think that you mentioned that she was trans, and that's something that the book is very clear about. That's very, true. Um, brings up uh, a couple of times throughout. It's not like a a major focus of the book, but it it does go out of its way to bring up some details that that uh, focus on that. So. Um, her her best friend is Redemption. Redemption, which is, is a, a awesome name. One thing I will say about this book is I love the character names. I was not super into it, like because they're all nouns, and I felt like a lot of them. Like I liked the so uh, her mother's name is Bitter, and that's because um, that's not a she noun. Was, it's it's not, but it's very descriptive. It's an adjective. Like they they're all they're all specific words. They don't feel like names like Rick or Michael. Like those those don't have a distinct meaning to them attached. Um, yes. And all of the word all the names in this do have a specific uh, meaning attached to the word that that is the name. Okay, um, so I think one of the reasons I found that really fun and interesting is because I read Trevor Noah's memoir um, Born a Crime, and he's South African, and he talks about African names, how they'll have their English name. And they'll like pull a word that just sounds cool to them or yeah. they'll pull a name of somebody that they know is famous and they'll give that mm -hmm. as their English name to their children. And then their children will have their African name as well. Okay. Um, yeah. And so I kind of perceived it as that same phenomenon in this right. area where like. That's fair. Jam, I think redemption, beloved, like they have these these names that mean something in English, but also just have a density. They have a ring to them. If you're right. not, if you're, you're not necessarily speaking English all the time as your main language. So. Right. Right. The, the issue that I took with it is that um, really early on in the book, it gets into specifically why Jam's mother was named bitter. Mm -hmm. And it's this, you know, it's because she is the product of rape. Um, and by the way, we should lay down some, some trigger warnings here. I think like yeah, this, this book is going to deal with some very heavy, heavy material. Topics. If you're going to be bothered by um, sexual abuse, especially involving children, like that is a part, a part of this book. Uh, there's some violence, but I don't know that that's going to be a huge issue. That the main thing is that you know there's there is sexual abuse involving children, and that's yeah. Uh, there is we'll have to get into instances of rape. In the there, mm -hmm. um, yeah, and and there are just this book is more open about sexuality in general than a mm -hmm. lot of books written for people around the same age. Um, there's a thruple. That is just. Oh yeah, there is, isn't there? Yeah, I've forgotten about that. Like, and again, it's in There's there. No real it's not drawn like it. it's a yeah big deal, but it's definitely in there. That could be alarming to some readers who are letting their thirteen-year-old, twelve-year-old read this. Right. <laughs> Those are not the reasons that uh, I would find it alarming for my 12-year-old or 13-year-old to read this, but we'll definitely get into that stuff, so I'm not worried about bringing it up here. But just to lay that out, there are some some serious uh, content issues here, and so you should kind of look into that if you need to and yeah, maybe turn sure. off the podcast if you need to do that. So anyway, uh, but um, Bitter is, she's the product of rape, and this is because she was, you know, from before the time when they got rid of all the monsters, um, and her mother named her Bitter 
and died shortly thereafter. So because and you know so that that gave a very specific intense meaning to, to her, her name. name as a person specifically and then I was expecting throughout the story to get more of those like right. to get more uh into that and I was and every time a name would come up I'd be like okay so like what is this t- saying about this character and a lot of them are n- really not deep enough to to really get you that kind of um that kind of uh, meat on the bone of, of as far as the meaning of the names. Yeah. There's, there's a couple like glass, I think is one that you could probably get, read into quite a bit. Uh, but um, so anyway, there's, there's redemption, which yeah, super cool name. I'll go along with that. Uh, it just, I was expecting him to have some type of redemption story because of it. Yeah. Uh, but um, his, his name is redemption. He is uh, jam's best friend. Um, he it's it's there's not a lot of character to him honestly in a lot of ways like he is he is very supportive of jam's needs uh and he is mad when he finds out what is going on in the plot and that's most of his characterization which is just like the normal reaction you would expect in that scenario so you know but he's he's a fun character i enjoy that he is uh, as friendly as he is, because it kind of does have a yeah. good contrast with the way that he gets kind of intense towards the end of the book. Yeah. Um, and then there is... There is a little bit of an impression to me with Redemption of, like, uh, almost how lucky Jam is that someone that is this good of a fighter... He seems like the cool kid, right? And Jam is kind mm-hmm. of the awkward, like, she only communicates be a sign language unless she feels like it's really important like that that's something i do want to get into specifically um once once we've gone through the characters because like i i have questions about the logistics of that um (laughs) (laughs) which is why i should not read magical realism honestly but uh the don't ever read a hundred years of solitude just (laughs) i have no plans it off your list (laughs) no thank you (laughs) uh so anyway You've you got redemption. Uh, there's also bitter and um, oh, I'm blanking on his name. What's her dad's name? Allo. You have bitter and aloe, and they are Jam's parents, mm-hmm. and they are just the most happy, supportive people of Jam that you could possibly imagine. They kind of ha- give each other a hard time about things, um, but that's it's it seems to be largely uh, in in the name of fun, and they both seem they don't seem to be like a uh they they pick on each other but it's you know it's the way that couples do there's a lot of um, love in the way that jam views her world right yeah yeah uh, and and a lot of that comes through i think her parents and the way that they deal with jam yeah um let's see and then there are there's the thruple that is redemption's parents yeah and i am not going to remember all three of them or I guess any of them right now, because it's not coming to mind who they are. But they're not super big characters, to be honest. They so are just kind of there. it's Whisper, Malachite, and Beloved, right? Yeah, that's that's it, yeah. Those are the... Um, or is it Glass? No, Glass is Hibiscus's wife. There we go. There we go. Yeah. Um, so there's there's those three. They're Redemption's parents. Um, they're not very big characters, to be honest. Uh and then there is Hibiscus, who is his uncle, who is a pretty important character by the end. He is someone who is uh, training uh, training Redemption to fight, which is something I find kind of weird because it seems that this world is very intent on making it clear that there is now no mm-hmm. reason there is no fighting. For, for fighting. <clears throat> yeah. 
and and maybe it's some sort of like sport type thing because that's sort of the way that it seems like redemption is engaging with it at, at certain points when he describes what he's what he's doing there right um but uh hibiscus is is teaching him to fight and uh i guess spoilers for the end uh he is molesting um moss. redemption's little brother moss yeah um and uh he's the he's the the, the monster of this book um and then you have Moss, who is kind of just there to be a victim, really, if yeah, I'm honest. Uh, that was really distressing to me, honestly. Yeah. that We're definitely going to talk about like who I feel like should be the, the main character of this book. And yeah. I don't feel like it's Jam, to be honest. Right. Uh, but the last character and, the to me, probably most interesting character of the book is Pet himself. Mm-hmm. Um, Pet is a monster. And I mean that in the usual sense of the word of like, he is a creature Yes. Uh, that it has, has very strange, uh, very, in my opinion, kind of demonic appearance. Um, it's got like crooked, like uh, crooked, goat legs. Bloody and horns, the, goat legs. Yeah, ram's horns. Yeah. Um, and it's got it's her mom's hands like stitched to the end of its arms and, and wings. wings that have like gold feathers. Yeah. It's, it's a very uh, disturbing looking creature. Yes. Um, but uh, you can't so see its face. It doesn't and, have a face. There are wings covering its oh, face. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, so Pet is summoned essentially by, I guess, a what it, what amounts to a spell. Uh, it, yeah. It. Uh, so there's in the painting that that Bitter creates of Pet, um, there are I guess razor blades as a part of it, mm-hmm. and um, Bitter and uh, not Bitter, uh, uh, Jam. Jam, not realizing this, cuts herself on on the that and that gets blood on the painting and that is apparently how you summon an angel or demon or monster whatever you want to call that's how you summon a hunter a hunter i guess is is probably the the terminology of the book yes Um, and this is apparently one not the first time that this has happened and was i guess at some point fairly common Mm -hmm. uh when things were when there were monsters roaming yeah, I guess when when the revolution that clearly happened at some point happened, right. is how I would put it. Um, I mean, so, the revolution uh, is mentioned on the first page. Yeah. Um, so I I didn't remember if they called it specifically a revolution or or what, but yeah, it, it is. But a from behind and inside and in front of the revolution, therefore very real type of angel. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, but so. Pet comes through, and Pet is very single-minded in <laughs> driving towards uh, accomplishing its hunt. It is there to kill a monster. That is that is its purpose. That is what it wants to do. That is basically all it thinks about. Yep. Um, and it has a very roundabout way of speaking that just kind of seems to revolve in circles which is sort of the way its behavior is so i kind of like that as a mm-hmm. thematic thing going on with it but it's it's this monstrous terrifying creature that can do all kinds of strange things to help the plot move along and it is there to kill someone specifically hibiscus so uh, yeah. yeah that's that's but basically all it needs so. a human on the ground so that's that's one yeah. of the features i, I I feel like that was actually a really good limitation on Pet because Pet had the potential to just completely overwhelm the story and just come in and kill the the monster and move on with its life. Um, I 
I think my my issue with that is I because I agree with you on on the like mechanical level of what pet could do because the, sure. the powers that it has. I think that the issue for me is that it needed to be a little more clear why it needed someone to do that yeah. and what that person needed to do in terms of uh, enabling pet and and allowing pet to do what it was doing. Like if if pet somehow could not really fully see the world around it, but could only like get it through the eyes of its, its other hunter yeah. uh, jam specifically, I think that would have helped a lot. So, something like that, that could Agreed. explain what, what would need it. But from a, a, you know, limiting pet and it's awesome, phenomenal <laughs> cosmic power. Yeah. That yeah. was very much needed. And so that, that was a good move. Um, I think you, you've hit on something really important though, because the why is one of the big issues that I see in this book mm-hmm. is why did the revolution happen? Why <laughs> it why are there no monsters left? Why right. did Pet get summoned? Why so, did Pet get summoned specifically to Redemption's house? Why not show up at Redemption's house? Like Right. There are many whys. Oh, also, you missed the librarian whose name I cannot remember, but was possibly Ube. my favorite. Yeah, Ube was possibly my favorite character. Like, I liked Ube because he's just like, all right, he's I'm not chill. supposed to show you this stuff, but I'm a librarian <laughs> and I am here to bring the information. So drop the mic. <laughs> Any- here you go. Don't yeah. tell your parents. Like I, I really do like that turn on the usual librarian, like super uptight about letting the kids into the restricted area stuff. Right. Like, nah, fuck it. You get you kids. Are, you kids are crazy. You guys need to know stuff. Here's some books on on all the horrible things that used to be around. So yeah. <laughs> we we should probably talk about the revolution. I think that's a good place to start. Sure. Because um, it will give people a good idea of. Uh, how this world is. And I think the easiest way to explain is that the revolution essentially means that everyone who was right of the author was either murdered or put in a re-education camp. And that sounds really brutal, and it clearly is, because they talk about how there's a bunch of people who have PTSD from the horrible things they had to do in the revolution. But that's how it went down. And I am... This is the thing that I am easily most uncomfortable with talking about in this book because it's, in my opinion, an incredibly fucked up thing to have as the backdrop of your your world that you just kind of assume, yeah, we killed a whole bunch of people and it made the world really perfect. Yeah. So uh, I expected you to be very alarmed by their version of Utopia. Um <laughs> Being who you are. I'm, a, I'm, I'm alarmed by any version of Utopia that requires my murder. <laughs> right, right. Um, I, 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 being not quite as far right of the author as you perhaps are, did not right. get the impression that everyone who was right of the author ended in an untimely demise or a re-education camp. It was I mean, that... Hear me out. Hear me okay, out. Sure, sure. It was that systems of power fell that allowed things like um, rape, Mm -hmm. torture, molestation, abuse by abuse by people in power was somehow Mm -hmm. eliminated by more powerful people. That is a less terrifying premise than anyone who disagrees with me ends up in a concentration camp. 
which I understand how you could have come away with that impression <laughs> from this book. I mean, she does specifically like I, I agree. There is there are some parts of the book that seem to be focusing more on systems than people. Yeah. But there are other parts that are very clearly. No, we killed all the billionaires. We killed all the police. We killed all the people that are they didn't doing kill X, the Y, police, and Z. They reeducated them. I don't remember the part about the billionaires. <laughs> I, they were they were in a list of the people that were done away with in a non-specific way that I can only assume <laughs> was unpleasant. <laughs> like, yeah, and and something that you said is that like they dismantled systems of power by somehow being more powerful. Right. And to me that is a terrifying idea because it's just then you have another power. And if this book had taken it in the way that I initially thought maybe that they were going of yeah. like, yeah, we create a utopia by being incredibly powerful and enforcing our will on everyone. Oh, it turns out that actually that didn't work and there are still a ton of horrible things that are happening because yep. that's not how you make things better. Yep. Totally on board. That could have been a really interesting way to do a dystopia yeah. while still keeping it feeling utopian until you like peel off the mask, which is a huge yeah. um, theme within the book. I think that could have been cool. That's not what they do. They're just like, yeah, we killed them all and it's great, except this one pedophile managed to make it through and we don't know how, so no big deal. Yeah, so I, I personally feel like with another round of editing, that would have been this book, right? Sure. Like, I think, especially from having read the foreword to the book, that the author's intention was almost like a, a Lois Lowry giver situation set in a, a more modern context. Was was that foreword the, um, the like, at the begin the very beginning part that, like, someone else kind of wrote and was like, this is the book about xyz and 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 stuff no this is okay oh uh, well because the audio it, it the audio book started with something dear like that. reader they don't make evil like they used to yep yep yeah okay no, yeah i know what you're talking about yeah, yeah. so that is in the audio version so okay so that was in the audio version i actually thought that that was by emezi um but like i think that their point like emezi's point was mm -hmm. to show that Yes. Something I something that I think that will be easy. Uh, so if we refer to Emezi as they, that's their pronouns. Yes. Uh, they are, they are non-binary. Non -binary. They go by they, them. So if, if we talk about they, that is probably who we're referring to. That may, yes. that may help listeners. Yeah. Um, also, in inside of the book, pet is never referred to by any gendered pronouns. It's always yeah. it. Um, yeah. So... Yeah. So if you hear us referring to pet as it, that is the only way that pet is referred to is as and it. it. That kind of makes sense for a like cosmic being yeah. that does not really fit with with gender ideas. That that works. Yeah. So I I feel like Amezi's intention was that, mm -hmm. and yet the execution did not land for me. Because, and, and the reason that I feel like Emezi's intention was that is the climax where Jam stops the angel, stops Pet from murder. And her, her argument is, if we just allow you to kill the next monster, we will never figure out how many monsters there still are. We will never look at our system and see all the other monsters. So we can't right. just eliminate one when there may be dozens more like him out there hurting right. other boys like Moss or hurting other mm -hmm. family members. We need him alive and we need him to talk about who he is 
and how he became this way so right. that we get the monsters into therapy, right? Like, so because that was the climax, I feel mm -hmm. like their intention was to show that just creating a more powerful system of power is not going to get rid of monsters. Like, I, I guess it, it's, but it's, it's sort of like you said, that doesn't land with the story they told. Right. Um, and part of it is, is that they clearly made a better world, at least, you know, in, in the world of this by, however they did it, by destroying a bunch of people. Right. Um, and a part of that was clearly having creatures like Pet magically appear in this world to hunt down monsters. Mm -hmm. um, and pretty obviously, they murdered all their monsters. Like, <laughs> Pet seems to be the only one, as far as we have any indication, that, that was did held not murder back. it. Yeah. Yeah. And it immediately becomes a very questionable ending to me of if that's, uh, if that's uh, uh, Jam's decision as to what should happen with this. Because no, you can just summon more monsters or more more of more pet creatures. Yeah, to more hunters come and yeah to come and kill all the bad people. Yeah, like because it wasn't like some uh, uh, specific thing about this situation that called pet forth. It was it was this a spell. painting yeah. being created. Yeah, and it it doesn't seem to me to follow that the logic is, okay, we're going to make an example of this person so that we can then rehabilitate the other ones. Yeah. Especially when the way that he's made an example of, that's not going to make people go, you know what, I should I come forward really and tell people tell. about the terrible thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's going to make them go, shit, nope. I'm going to hide <laughs> like, that one in the closet for another 10 years. Exactly. Really hope that no giant monsters come in and maim Ball and torture me. Right. Um, yeah, we will have to talk about that scene and, and the stuff that goes on there and what that is seems to be saying. Because, geez. Uh, but yeah, like the 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 mechanics of what is happening here. It seems to me like Imezi got to the end and was like, yeah, fuck this guy, which I agree with. Yeah. Fuck Hibiscus. Fuck. He is a monster. Fuck like, this guy. I, I have... I have I want to be very clear. Whatever else I say, like I have no issue with with Hibiscus's punishment. I have no issue with like what happens to him. Whether he had died, that would have been fine too. Like all that's cool. Uh, I'm going to talk a lot about what I think that says about the messaging of this book, right. and why I don't think that's good. But as far as specifically what happens to as him in the world where he is guilty, screw that guy. Go for it. Being um. a child molester who has been a child molester repeatedly is a repeat offender who was let yeah. go. And other mm -hmm. people knew that he was a child molester and allowed him to be around children. Yeah. Fuck all of that. Like, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. No. A hundred percent. Never okay. There are zero options where anyone gets to say that's okay. The Correct. end. Absolutely. Um, like. So, however, that said, <laughs> this book is essentially the story of magical vigilante justice, where at the end the quote-unquote good guys torture a confession out of a man and then brand and then uh, maim him for life. And that's the good ending? Question mark? Right. Um, like that, I, I brought up the Spanish Inquisition in this, in this thing. And oh, one of the things that, that Imezi uh, brought up as, as things that were done away with to make their utopia perfect is, uh, is religion. 
but then she just straight up brings back, oh, let's gonna ha- we're ha- going to have a supernatural justification for the torture of a person until they confess and then punishment for them. Right. Like, right. what the hell? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. like, so, uh, and th- this isn't, we haven't really gotten into, like, we're still in the, the telling of the story part. But, like, one of the things that I actually love in this story mm-hmm. is that Pet is an angel in the biblical sense, right? So he's modeled very closely after a cherubim in like Mm -hmm. the book of Ezekiel or the book Mm -hmm. of Revelation. I said he, it is modeled very, um, very, very closely around angelic beings from a biblical context, which for me, as someone who has spent a lot of time with the Bible, I have never been a fan of these cute little angels with their pretty white wings (laughs) and they're always female and they're always pretty. Every time an angel shows up in the Bible, the first words are, don't be afraid. Like, don't worry, I'm not here to melt you. Like, (laughs) so the fact that, that like the fact that they used that, Mm-hmm. I thought it was really cool. Like, oh, yeah, that's concept, a very cool idea. I actually love that. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, yeah, give for sure. me the scary the... demon angels any day of the week, like <laughs> with the wings covering I... their scary eyes. Mm-hmm. I, I really like something that I think Emezi was going for very clearly in this book, which is that to create a good world you're going to have to do some bad, scary things. Mm -hmm. And it takes something, it is not a happy, cute process to create a better world in a lot of cases. In a lot of cases, you have to do things that in a specific sense of the word are terrible. And I don't mean that terrible in terms of like bad, I mean terrible in terms of like The emotional and spiritual cost of the thing. Exactly, yeah. Yeah, um, and, I and love Pet is a really good line. example of that. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, I love the line um, that Bitter says, where Jam asks her if the angels are innocent, and her mm-hmm. mom oh, yeah. says they had to do terrible things, and they are not innocent, but they are good. It was kind of a play on C.S. Lewis's Aslan. I was going to bring up Aslan moment yeah. where it's like. Mm-hmm. He's not safe, but he is good. Um, right. I felt like that was kind of <laughs> kind of a play on that. Right when he's like, uh, he asked Aslan, like, "Can I trust you?" And it's like, "I have swallowed continents of people. I have destroyed worlds." Right. <laughs> but yeah, you can trust but, me. But yeah, it'll be fine. <laughs> You're so <laughs> right, tiny, exactly. like you won't fit on one of my teeth. <laughs> Yeah, it's not a big deal. Don't worry about it, kid. <laughs> I'm not hungry today. <laughs> also, I'm going to, you know, rip the scales off of your back, digging inches <laughs> into your flesh, but... It'll be good for you. Trust me. It'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, 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 we should probably do some some Narnia books. Those oh. would be good to do. I'd enjoy that. 100%. I really like Aslan. As C.S. Lewis is, is... I have a man crush on C.S. Lewis. Um that's anyway, yeah, anyway. <laughs> uh, this is not C.S. Lewis, but no. pull some really cool biblical imagery mm-hmm. um, yeah. in, in a C.S. Lewis kind of way. Like, mm-hmm. maybe a little more um, creepy author whose name starts with an H that I can never remember that Caleb H. loves. Let's see. Creepy author. It wouldn't be Lovecraft. Yes, it is Lovecraft. 
Horatio oh, okay. G. Lovecraft. Oh, why it starts Lovecraft. with an yeah, H. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Lovecraft. Gotcha. Like, I feel like Pet is a little more love, Lovecraftian than... I could kind of uh, go along than, with that. I, I, would, I would say that there is a unusual overlap between the two in this particular instance of how they see cosmic beings. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas Lewis sees it very much in terms of a being that is very much beyond us but cares about us. Yeah. Uh, uh, Lovecraft sees it very much in terms of beings that are very much beyond us and don't and care, don't about, care us about, about us at all. And then Emezi has this creature pet, which is very much beyond us and has a specific purpose that kind of overlaps with our existence. Yeah. Is how I would put it. Because I don't think that pet is in any way biblical in terms of like it is serving a greater deity that that has interest and cares about the world. It seems to be very much a oh, really? function of reality, in my opinion. Okay. I And that may that may be coming from my read based on the like religious people were eliminated as part of this utopia and so i'm assuming that like religion itself is something that would not be pulled from to to add to this creature if that makes sure sense. yeah you know so pet comes from one of jam's mom's paintings and mm-hmm. um jam cuts herself on the razor blades and ends up you know, bringing this being into existence. One of the things that was never resolved and it really bugged me is why Pet couldn't get out of the painting. Like, oh, yeah. so Jan yeah. has to like reach her hand into the abyss and mm-hmm. figure out how to get his horn unstuck. And she right. feels the disappointment because so Jan is, is definitely um, either autistic or, um, on she's, the spectrums, she's definitely extremely sensory. Um, part of that seems to be the magical realism in this, but she has a very high sensory experience. Um, yeah, I kind of do want to talk about that as well, but yeah, c- continue. But yeah. so, but she, one of the things that she feels with her extrasensory perception is emotions of people that are close to her or people that she's touching. So she can feel her parents' emotions, even just within their own house. She can feel redemption's mm-hmm. emotions and she can feel pet's emotions. But when she reaches into the painting and releases pet, there is the distinct feeling of disappointment. And it's like one of the yeah. first times that, it, it sounds like it's the first time she's ever felt disappointment as a feeling, like as something mm-hmm. tangible. And, right. and like, there was, there was so much that could be done with that. <laughs> like, and then Pet just disappears at the end. And I'm like, how could he get back? What was, how did it get back? What was waiting for it? Like, why couldn't it get out in the first place? All of these things could have mm-hmm. been interesting. <laughs> Listeners, you are missing out on the show seeing Michael's face as she is, is going through all this. <laughs> That's I am very, very excited about this. Like, <laughs> because again, I feel like this book, and you know, I, I kind of said this about Dragonhaven, only Dragonhaven was about three edits from being a good book. Pet is a is a solid edit away from being a good book to me. Like there there that. is there are a number of really interesting bones. I don't know that mm-hmm. that the next time around it would have been a story that I really wanted to read having read this version, but mm-hmm. there there is a skeleton here that I find very interesting. 
There right, is a yeah. depth missing. There is a uh, an understanding of motivations missing in this story mm-hmm. overall that I found I would agree with very that. disappointing. Um, because because the premise was so interesting to me. I'm again. I've mentioned The Giver by Lois Lowry. I'm a big fan of those utopia dystopia stories mm-hmm. where it's like because they're human, right? We all want to make a better world. Right. And it's it's hard and it's ugly and and making and a better world. That, go ahead. And digging into the ways that a person imagines how a utopia would work and then finding the cracks in the way that yes. that would actually fall apart yes. is a fascinating it's thought just experiment. Interesting. No matter how Yeah. Um anytime you you want to get into the mechanics of that, it becomes I think very clear very rapidly how impossible it is to create a system that creatures that are built the way humans are built could just be perfectly happy all the time 100% right. of the time. Right. Um, and like that's why it's an interesting psychology experiment too and like so part of what fascinates me about these type of stories and I include pet in this type of story is the characters that are so invested in maintaining the system that they will blind themselves to anything in order right. to make the utopia real. So mm-hmm. um, Jam's dad, Aloe, very mm-hmm. much is like, I will not see anything but what I want to see. Um, mm-hmm. Even even Redemption's parents completely, mm-hmm. like they get mad at him for questioning whether or not hibiscus right. is is sexually abusing and beating moss mm-hmm. and and they actually lived in a time with monsters like right. redemption has no context for inventing a monster and right. then they get angry with him like if he suspects hibiscus when again right. he was not raised with monsters like yeah why wouldn't I, they believe him and Something else that was really troubling to me was the way that um, that Jam's parents reacted to Pet's existence because mm-hmm. they know what this thing is, mm-hmm. they know what it does, they have seen it before. Yep. And so you are kind of forced into a situation where you can either believe that a they are okay with the idea of something as bad as a pedophile, because I cannot assume that they are going to think like, oh no, it's probably just a jaywalker that it's here yeah. for. Like, I, I can't go go to that de- that degree with it. So they've got to be either okay with something like that as long as they don't have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. Or, and this will get into my alternative interpretation that I have for the book later, but either that or these things actually can lie and, Jam is deceived that this thing is 100% honest. Like, those are the only two options that I can have. And I think that the author's intent is, no, they're just, they would rather look away than see how that something bad has happened. Right. But that is not well created in this book, in my opinion. Again, this book is one good edit away from being a good story. Yeah. Yeah, essentially, like... There, there aren't very many options. So you, you assume that Amezi is saying, I, people would rather turn a blind eye than, which these people don't feel like they would. That's the thing. Right. It's like no one in this is is overlooking anything that we can see, and they are people who have already gone to the lengths of 
overthrowing a a a government at the very least yeah. i would assume a government a a economic system like this is a world that has been by these specific people radically transformed and and tr- dismantled yeah and so to for me to believe that they are just like hey you know what i i, I want to believe it i need to see that in their life like in, right. in things that they are doing they need to be overlooking things to pretend that their marriage is a is a perfect world or overlooking yeah. things that jam is doing because of her um her 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 issues that she has because i mean she having a kid that you have to learn sign language for that would all be difficulties like yeah. it's it's something that you should definitely i think do in this scenario but like there are a lot of things that seem very convenient where you could build in inconvenience yes. for people to to force an an overlooking and yes. that would help build this theme a lot more and that that brings me to one of the the things about this book that so one of the first things I noticed was there is kind of this this lack of underpinning depth. There's mm-hmm. there's a lot of overlay, and it's kind of like like having a skeleton but no muscles and bones or no muscles and skin. Um, mm-hmm. Or you have like a mannequin, but it's not a person, right? right. Like so everything's there, but it's not it's not dense. However, mm-hmm. there are some pieces of this that is written very much like a folk tale or mm-hmm. a fairy tale or um, a moralistic story, right? <laughs> it's a very moralistic story. Yeah. I will definitely agree with you there. But and, yeah, I see what you're talking about with the folk tale, fairy tale. And so there's there's a tone, there's a tonal quality there that as mm-hmm. somebody that loves like fairy tales and has read tons of short stories in the fairy tale genre. Like, and, and this is not a long book for those of you that are listening. Like, I yeah. think I read this whole book in a couple of hours, maybe three. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been very rare that we've done any book that was over or under eight hours. I think yeah. and this one is only like five and a half yeah. in terms of audiobooks. So like, it's quick read. Yeah. Like I, I read, half of it one night before bed and the other half the next morning kind of thing. Like it's, it's a quick read. Um, it's, it's written as if it's for younger children. Um, Mm -hmm. but the themes are so mature that I, I would struggle to give this to the, the reading level that it's written at. Um, right. Yeah. And if you are reading the book instead of listening to it, there are some stylistic choices that Emezi made that are um, they're interesting to me from a writer perspective, but they're difficult to read from a mm-hmm. visual perspective. So when um, Jam is signing, that's in italics. But when she and Pet are talking to one another in their heads, there is no indication that that is happening. You just have gotcha. to sense it from the shift on the page, like, and so the paragraph doesn't change. There's no quotation marks. There's no, and so to give this to a 12, 13, 14 year old, um, I think would be a difficult read. I don't know that a lot of kids would get past the speed bumps with this book. Um, Right, right. I would I would assume that most kids would probably read over it and miss the nuance would be the more um, possibly the greater danger I think um, but I, I I can see that I 
did not realize that shift was there because in the audiobook um there are voices yeah and you can't it's not easy to tell when she's signing i don't think although i just kind of assumed unless they specifically called out that she was speaking that she would be signing yeah um so that that took away some of that difficulty. I do want to say, like the the narrator for this, I thought had a really interesting voice. Like it, he's a he was a slower reader, but I really enjoyed the character that he brought to all of the voices for mm-hmm. for the different characters in there. I think that was a, he did a really good job. I'm so. actually really disappointed um, that I didn't listen to it. I may go back and at least listen to the parts with Bitter in them because Bitter's accent is so interesting to me. Um, yeah, she has she has a very I think the. Um, the the uh, the narrator was doing Jamaican like a Jamaican accent for her. Okay, um, that's that's the impression I got. Something Caribbean at least like that. But yeah, um, she that, definitely that was definitely the impression I got. And and based on her usage of French words, she may be Caribbean. Like, right. but she uses um, some French. She has um, a very different grammar from Aloe, her husband. So right. there's there's just this really interesting context going on with dialects throughout the book, which as a total language nerd, like I was eating <laughs> up that part. I was just like, oh, man, because Amezi did that really well to me, like the, mm-hmm. the switching among the different dialects, especially again, I imagine this book set in Africa, where unlike Nashville, Tennessee, where you you don't hear a ton of different variations in even English's. Um, mm-hmm. unless you hang out with a more diverse crowd, like in, in parts of Africa, different tribes all speak their own different language and then their English is, is changed by their home language. Right. So there are all yeah. of these different dialects of English too. Like, mm-hmm. and so I, I found that part really fun to read. Right. Um, to me, I I definitely did not think that this was set in anything like I just didn't get the impression that it was set in in Africa or Nigeria anywhere in there because there are so many of the other like besides Jam's mom to me everyone sounds very I guess there's a, just an American tang to the way that certain characters talk to me okay um, like uh, the way that that um, Redemption and his family just seem to interact it's it's got some uh, some dialect that I feel like fits more of that context than Nigeria. But then yeah. I don't know what the hell I'm talking about out of this because I don't really know what, what that, that dialect would look like in Nigeria or any part of, of Africa. So I'm just making that sure that, that, yeah. Um, I was making sure that they were born or born and raised in Nigeria. Um, right. I, I do not get the impression that there were any white characters in this book. I did. I don't. I think that every character is um, is African in in. Uh, so I don't want to say African American now. I would have beforehand. Yeah. But that was an assumption on my part. So I, that could be very much incorrect. But yeah, I. Yeah. Also, so, did not get that impression. So that was that was part of part of my context as well. Is I imagined it set in Emezi's own country, and right. that that was in large part why the diversity that was there was all. African or black diversity, not white diversity, right? Like, right, right. Because, you know, you can have a book full of white people that all have are come from different areas and have different accents sure, yeah. and whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I didn't experience that from this book. And so that was, again, that- maybe that was just an assumption on my part. Maybe Lucille right. is the I- whole world, but I don't get the impression that Lucille is the whole world. It no, seems like a, a small town. 
Like, I almost, I don't know. It, it, I feel like a part of my issue with the magical realism of this is that so much of this is pulling from the real world. Like, this is very clearly set in our world in the future at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, because and there not are a very distant future from, because of the way no. cell phones are described. And Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, like, there are specific quotes from actual people put into the book. So it is obviously our world a little bit in the future. And so with that, I kind of struggled with like, okay, where is this set? What what sure. world is this? Because yeah, uh, it, that just that threw me off in a couple of different different ways. Um, I mean, like, until you had mentioned magical realism, I didn't take it. I took it more to be fantasy, um, mm-hmm. uh, borderline like urban fantasy, and that um, Jam's abilities were entire entirely related to her autism like hmm. and that's that's just from the the amount of stuff that i know about like hypersensitive sensitive senses mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. empathic abilities right. and like so you're talking about like her ability to tell what's going on in the house even yeah just from like, listening to it okay yeah that that is something that some autistic people experience so mm-hmm. from my perspective like um amezi put kind of a conglomeration or there's a constellation of things that can happen for people that are on the spectrum. Right. To me, like jam got most of the superpowers of being on the spectrum. And because she lives in utopia, basically none of the downsides of being on the spectrum, because like even the fact that she's selectively mute never Mm -hmm. seems to be a problem for her. Like, that Even was at school, very questionable to me as a decision because I feel like if you're going to have that be there, it's more important to like. Okay, so by taking all of the conflict away from that, it smooths over anything that people with that issue have to deal with. Yeah, and to me, I feel like that's sort of cheating in terms Which, of how you're writing it. Here's the thing. I would have been perfectly fine with it for the first third of the book when everything was still mm-hmm. utopia. Does that make sense? Sure, yeah. If yeah. that had been part of the setup of this utopia is like, mm-hmm. you know, she can communicate however she needs to and everyone can understand her. Like, right. And she can be who she is without ever having conflict. Like, yeah, that's utopia. I would love to be able to go into public and constantly perfectly communicate with everyone I interact with. Like, (laughs) sure. Yeah. That's a dream life for me. Doesn't happen. Fair. But you know, like it's just weird when like it brings up like her and redemption's friendship. It did not start from anywhere. He just decided apparently to learn sign language to be her friend. Right. Which is really Charming? Odd behavior to me. No. It, it's just, it, it to me instantly goes, okay, this isn't a real story. Because okay. like if if he had some reason to know it beforehand and became her friend through that, that sure. makes sense. But like he learns it to talk to her, and then all of his family also decide to pick up an entire language right. to communicate with their kid's friend. Yeah. And that to me is a step beyond utopic. Like if they had a thing where it's like, because of all this, we have now have this technology that you just instantly download a language and bam, you know, sign language now. Right. Sure. That is a level of convenience where I can go along with that. But 
it doesn't seem to be that. You seem to still have to go through all of the trouble of learning an right. entire language, which to me is just a questionable amount of effort to go to to talk to your son's friend. Right. And I think that within the context that you said, like the utopic thing, if this is a utopia, sure, yeah, that makes that makes some sense. Sure. But clearly by the end of this book, that's sort of not really the case. Right. There are still things that are very wrong and messed up and human behavior is still human behavior yeah um yeah so it just felt very strange to me that the author went to such lengths to show i guess uh jam's neurodiversity i guess is the easiest way to to kind of blanket statement what what she's dealing with but took away anything that would cause friction in her life because of it right so again Jam got all the superpowers of being neurodiverse and right. none of the conflict, none of mm-hmm. the downsides. And right. one, I, I really like your point about how that that undercuts people who do live with neurodiversity or who who are deaf and use sign language mm-hmm. or like in yeah. in some ways that and we should move from this to talking about who really is the main character in this book, because we definitely should. <laughs> to, to me, that's one of the reasons why um, it's one of the reasons why this book reads. And I hate to say this because I really wanted to like this book, but this book reads more like propaganda to me than a story. Oh yeah. And the reason, one of the reasons for that is the, hyper emphasis on the utopia followed by an appeal to emotion. So the appeal to the, the appeal to the emotion, like the appeal to emotion allows you to bypass your uncomfortable feelings about how horrific Hibiscus's end is. Sure. Yeah. Because you're like, well, but this is a utopia and everything was great for jam and (laughs) she's never had to deal with any of the conflict that i as a trans person or i as a neurodiverse person or i as a person that uses sign language has had to and so Mm -hmm. you get this like see this pretty world there was an interruption to the pretty world but don't worry we pretty worlded it away like and 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 that to me is the essence yeah, and that's, it's an extremely uncomplicated evil that comes into this world. It is yeah. in no way like it's not like he had to deal with the trauma of overthrowing a government and the terrible things he had to do and became a drunk that was somewhat abusive or even like verbally right. abusive, something like that, where you could kind of be like, OK, this is a bad thing. But we can help him and help him overcome that. Clearly, he is someone who is in pain from the things that he had to do to create this world. We should help him through that. No, he's a straight monster that is about as dark as you can possibly get. An actual monster, yeah. 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 Um, And yeah, so yeah, I I definitely agree with that. There's a lot of things here where, to me... So... It's sort of... Yeah, go ahead. So, and I can't remember like what the actual scale is, but there, there is a scale in writing that goes from um, pure, I think pure factual, like pure fact dissemination to propaganda. Right. And, and in between that um, Mm -hmm. is, is fiction like right at, right at the top where you have Mm -hmm. some amount of giving information, but you have this ambiguity because there's a theme, there's a moral, right? So right. propaganda is where you tell people exactly how to feel and believe. And reporting mm-hmm. facts is very boring. And fiction right. is somewhere between that, where you're shaping yeah. 
you're you're guiding how people should feel and believe if it's good fiction right but right, right. and you're, you're giving presenting them, a worldview you're pr- giving them a worldview you're presenting them with facts but they have to make a decision and a choice about it one of the reasons why this book feels like it's one edit away from being a really good story to me is my choices were more or less taken away and that's why yeah. it feels like a moralizing story or a fable like an aesop's fable about mm-hmm. you know look out for monsters but don't be afraid like but even those have like a twist to them most of the time and i guess yeah. the biggest twist to this is that like hibiscus the only person we've ever described that in any way was not good of like that guy clearly has ptsd um like, yeah that is the only piece of darkness that's ever described at all in the story leading up to yeah. Pat's revelation. So that also seems to tie that in in there. So it's, yeah, you're right. It does take away a lot of your choices as well as a reader. I mean, the the plot of the book goes out of its way, it seems to me, to take away interesting choice from all of its characters. Yeah. Um, yeah. All of them are kind of just driven to do the next logical thing and never and- really have to examine that and decide what they're doing. Yeah. And like, so I was reading, I was reading a, a fellow writer's story um, the other day and it was in, it was in some disrepair. And one of the things that I <laughs> commented to, to this writer is don't, don't tell me how to feel more or less mm-hmm. is what I said, because like they had created this sub character that was explaining exactly how the the main character needed to change and was wrong. And I was like, I don't need you to tell me that. I want right. to see this character deal with their shit mm-hmm. and be forced by their circumstances to change. You don't have to tell me that they that this is their problem. I'm going to see right, it. Right. This is another situation where that didn't happen. I didn't mm-hmm. have that that moment of seeing, okay, this is Jam's problem. This is what's what Jam's going to have to overcome. This right. is Redemption's problem. This is what Redemption is going to have to overcome. I was given mm-hmm. a perfect world with a crack in it where an extraterrestrial being came in and plugged the crack and there was some minor drama. Like Right. The the closest thing to a decision made was, "Now nah, don't kill him. Let's leave him as an example to all the other monsters that may still exist." Right. And that Crucify him publicly. Me, yeah, it, it becomes revenge porn at a certain point. And, like, there's a place for that in fiction, I think. Like, it, if if you need to see a, a horrible person who has committed sexual violence... Against children. ...tortured and destroyed, yeah. Like, pick this book up. Take a look at it. Like, if that'll make you feel better, I'm, I, I, can, I can get along with that. But I think that it is missing a extremely important component in terms of choice for the main character and evolution for them and the way that they see the world around them. Yeah. Um, and also jam is not the main character of this book. No, <laughs> like, like jam is an interesting perspective to be in, but she essentially makes no choices throughout the story is the person with the least investment in the stakes of the story mm-hmm. of, of who is available. And by the end has not really, to my mind, meaningfully changed because of it. She has right. maybe lost her innocence, but even before that, it didn't seem, it doesn't seem like it is that big of a, a paradigm shift for her to, sure. to see the world around her this way. Like if this book, if the purpose of this book had been to like say, all right, 
you may think the world around you is wonderful and perfect, but actually you need to be on guard and aware that you that horrible things, things can exist can't anywhere. See. Yeah, that would work pretty well, I think. You yeah. could do a, a really excellent story, and this that you would not need to change a lot from this to to make that very clear in in this narrative. But as it is, yeah, it's just sort of there's one crack, a supernatural entity fixes it for you. You don't really have to do any of the complicated stuff. You just get to feel the happy happy is not the right word the the righteous emotion of inflicting harm on someone who deserves to have harm inflicted upon them right and stopping a terrible evil thing and then the world kind of moves on like there's a little bit of of uncomfortableness in the trial and all that but it's not much and it's not on jam's part everyone is like no jam sweetie you did the perfect right thing in this scenario and right like it's it's all entirely other stuff that's going on so here's a thought on that again I think I think this book was originally intended for a younger audience. And I am I am much more gracious with my like truly like middle middle grade book, right? Mm-hmm. Um early high school, late middle school with characters that that don't face extreme consequences or that don't sure, have yeah. quite as many their choices are very clear cut and they make them. I think of like the first Harry Potter book, right? Like the first Harry Potter book for me and as an adult is pretty boring because Harry is 12. Like, Mm -hmm. and so he makes 12 years old, 12 year olds choices. Like 11. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 11. The first book is 11. Does he not turn? It's his 11th birthday, not his 12th birthday. When Hagrid comes 11th birthday. Okay. Forgive me, gentle listeners. <laughs> I am not a Potterhead. Um, so I have made it through book four, I think, in Spanish, because that's that's how I read my Harry Potter, is by listening to them in Spanish. Um, anyway, but like, so 11, again, like, if Jam's choices are an 11-year-old's choices, I have mm-hmm. less qualms with the way this story is written. The problem is, the themes of this book of um, revolution of monsters of sexual um, molestation of rape. They're not things that like you're making 11 year old choices about. There are 11 year olds who face these things hundred percent, but there are different ways to me of handling those very real and very terrifying things that do happen to children then this book did it and i i'm pretty sure our main character is 15 years old like she's not 11 she may read younger at points although at other points i would say she reads un like strangely mature in some ways which may be partly down to the utopian aspect of the book but right like there are parts where she feels like she is about six and there's parts where it feels like she is like 40. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I can't remember how old she is. She's definitely going through puberty. Um, so she's minimally like 12 or 13. Right. Um, but you did say you thought that she was 15 and I just don't, I don't remember where that was. Um, and that, that may be something I read into it or found like someone said in a review or something that I looked at, but I, that I is my memory. I think of redemption is 15 though. Like, but, but I feel like again, at the same age, though. Neither of them are driving. Um, they're just walking back and forth to each other's houses or, like... 
I don't know that driving is a thing though. <laughs> maybe, <laughs> like, maybe not. Um, and Lucille seems to be but a very tiny it town. So it's the, climate that. stuff for all of the like themes that this book touches on, like mm. there wasn't much on climate change. That's true. I mean, yeah. if you're going Maybe down the, <laughs> the the hot list, like the the hot checklist, you got to get that one in there. And I just don't know that it right. was in there that much. <laughs> but yeah, like I, I really don't like the way that uh, Jam never really makes any decisions. Yeah. She is just given information, acts the way that you would assume someone would act based on that information. And the story goes to a logical climax from, from that. Um, they essentially find out, okay, there's a monster at Redemption's house. Let's go to Redemption's house. Yep. Redemption, there's a monster in your house. No, there can't be a monster in my house. Oh, wait, there's definitely a monster in my house. Let's fucking kill him. Yep. <laughs> like, that's the whole story. And all of that follows and makes sense. No one seems to be struggling with the... That would have been an interesting way to, to handle the trying to, to, to deal with not wanting to believe that your utopia is not a utopia. Is fractured. Of... Well, for them to to not want to look into it for that reason, like to be afraid of that, and there are a lot, there's a lot of kind of hand wringing about that, but it doesn't seem to inform their decisions at all, and that's yeah, the problem. Like Jam goes to Redemption's house and spends time with his family, and like is like, nope, there's nothing wrong here, everything is perfect. Um, <laughs> and then Pet is like, no, there's something wrong, and she's like, fuck, there's something wrong. <laughs> and yeah, yeah, like. So, I'm going to say it for the 17th time, but it just needed another edit because yeah. there was a lot of um, Imezi telling me, like, mm, yeah, instead of, instead of me really, ex instead of me really feeling like Jam, right? Really mm -hmm. getting into Jam's feelings. And, and yet there were some passages, like, I, stylistically, this writing to me was really enjoyable to read. Like there were some, some really beautiful places in the writing. There were some really beautiful ways of like describing things, looking at things. Um, I loved it, the accents and the dialects. Like <laughs> it, it was not my jam, um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but I can definitely understand that. Like this is something where um, I can, I can, see how this would very much appeal to someone else who likes that flavor. Yeah, you're not much of, of one for poetry. Um, we we know I, not. that you're not much yeah. of one from po for poetry. And especially in the the circular way that um Pet speaks and right. But there are some things that he says that are, are really fascinating that I enjoy a lot. Like when he's talking about um, you know, there there is no good truth there is just truth there is just like, truth I, I like that there's there's a couple of things that that i thought were kind of questionable of like there are no bad hunts there are only the hunts and i'm like uh <laughs> no no i'm gonna have to stop you there strange <laughs> celestial being there's definitely some fucked up hunts that happen and i feel like the person who wrote this book is the type of person who would be aware of that <laughs> so it's sort of weird for you to say it <laughs> but like there's stuff like that, but from a stylistic perspective, I definitely agree. I think that this is really strong, even though it's not my personal cup of tea. Yeah. I think it is very well done. And even I had, like, I breezed through this book. I, I did not have any trouble listening to it. I did it at a higher speed just because I wanted to get through it. But I, I definitely could have listened to this at normal speed and not had an issue with that. For sure. Um, But yeah. Yeah, but I, even I, with those those places of real, to me, beauty and, and a, 
Again, I read this in two sittings. It's a breeze to read, even with the stylistic choices on how jams, um, various modes of communicating are, are displayed. Like, mm -hmm. even with that, a breeze to read. But there were still a number of places. Like, I can think of the scene in the kitchen with um, Redemption's family. And I wanted to feel that. I wanted to feel jam stepping into this place and and feeling at ease and the the tension of like i'm looking for a monster like and i right. just didn't in fact there was one line where amezi um even writes something like jam just wanted to be like surrounded by this family and she just wanted to live here but she really knew that she would hate that because like she needs her space and that she really just wanted to get a w back to her normal life instead of right. her now broken existence. Like it read like a plot point on a like outline. And, and way too many times the book will step in with pet superpowers to gloss over things and be like, nope, this is the way it is, and we're not going to deal with anything that could make this complicated. Like, right. for example, the idea that that pet could be lying about all of this. Right. The book just comes in as like, but Jam really felt like she could trust this thing and really believed, like she just felt it in her core that she could trust and that this thing's words were true. And I'm like, that sounds that's dangerous. what you'd really... That sounds incredibly dangerous from a this, clearly this demonic looking being. Celestial being that is using your blood to literally be inside of your head might be lying to you. <laughs> this goat legged <laughs> ram horn, not at all demonic question mark creature is definitely telling you the truth and you should not question that. Right. Like, okay, book, come on. Right. <laughs> like, and, and so there's a couple, and that, I, I'm using that because it's such an extreme example, but there's a couple of times throughout the book where it's like, no, there couldn't be anything going on at at um, Redemption's house. At Redemption's house, no, there's definitely something going on at Redemption's house, and like that's well, that's just fine. the way it feels. I just don't want to deal with that. Well, uh -huh. do you not want to deal with it and allow it to continue for longer? Like, mm -hmm. uh, basically, Pet occasionally comes off as like the preachy conscience voice, mm -hmm. like. And it's the fact that it is very clearly, um, okay, so if you're going to deal with it from a perspective of, for whatever reason, you absolutely bedrock believe whatever it says. Like, it is telling you the truth, and you really just cannot deal it, with not believing that. It's like, incapable of lying to you. Then you need to make that complicated for the character, and not in a quick, like, scene of... No, it can't be that way. And then just she comes around to, yeah, it's definitely got to be that way because you say so. You you need to find a way to make that a complication in the character's life of maybe like she goes and she really, really tries and looks for some kind of evidence of what it's talking about and cannot find it. Yeah. Like that would be an interesting complication that you could throw in there because it creates because a Because she knows level of that doubt. it's true and she knows what she uh -huh. sees is true. But like, she has she can't figure out a way to, to prove it. Yeah. I, I actually love again, there's so many concepts that is that are awesome in this story. Um, like mm -hmm. I love the idea that there are things that we just don't see because mm -hmm. we don't know they're there. We don't want to yeah. see them or we just don't know they're there. Because that's like yeah. an actual like 
psychological phenomenon in humans. Sure. Like if you're if you're watching the group of basketball players and you're you're trying to count the, the number of times the ball bounces, you're not going to yeah. see the giant black gorilla that comes and like mm-hmm. dances in the middle. Like right, that's right. a real thing that happens to people. Mm-hmm. And so yeah. it's a, that's a re- again, that's a really cool concept to have mm-hmm. this like well, we got rid of all of the monsters, so we're not looking for them. Right, and you can really play into this idea of we've created a utopia, but you know, you've still got this this girl who has at least some level of difficulty with with communication in yeah. the way that most people do it, and you could play with the idea of we've got this utopia, but we don't want to listen to this kid for whatever reason, yeah, and lean into the idea of okay, we have we don't want to believe that our utopia is not perfect. So we are going to destroy it ourselves by not listening to this child that we should listen to if we want to live to our own ideals. Yeah. Like there's a lot of directions you could take it. And instead it just goes in the least complicated one possible. Yeah. This Um, book runs the, this has the end game problem for me. So one of the issues that I had with end game wasn't the story that they told. It was that they went down their social justice, justice checklist and they inorganically plugged in each of the things that they needed. All of the women superheroes in one scene <laughs> together, check. Gay character you didn't like all that those... is completely yeah. like not part of the story, but we gotta <laughs> let you know he's gay. Check. Like <laughs> you didn't like Mantis running down with all these ultra powerful people when literally two of them have already spanked Thanos themselves like, by on their own. <laughs> women like woman like bitch slaps a man. Check. Like it, I mean, and don't get me wrong. Some of those tropes individually are, are tropes that I find fun and amusing sure. and and even empowering. But mm-hmm. when it feels like it is a checklist. Because mm-hmm. you don't want to offend anybody. Right. Or you want to show everyone <sighs> your propaganda. <laughs> yeah. It, but, but they're kind of the same. The idea yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of not offending anybody within your parameter, that is mm-hmm. kind of propaganda, right? Like, right. I can go with that. And so this book, to me, has, it, it at least runs the, the possibility um, of having the same problem where in order to be the super diverse cast and the super diverse writer, like to have mm-hmm. um, diverse voices in this book, mm-hmm. despite like Amezi is already a non-binary Nigerian author. Like they already right. are diverse voices, but they mm-hmm. ran, they ran the risk of coming across as, um, demeaning some of these diverse voices by not mm-hmm. showcasing the real conflicts and trials that these things have in our world. And I could, in, and I in, could certainly forgive that. If, like, like it made sense with the utopia that she's creating, but yeah. by the end it doesn't. Yeah. yeah. But, but it, instead it feels like, oh, I can't make this difficult on Jam because I don't want to offend my autistic readers. I can't make this difficult on um my like on on bitter as an artist right because i don't want to offend my caribbean artists like right the there was a sense that marvel movie that yeah go ahead the 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 marvel movie that to me is is emblematic of what you're talking about is captain marvel because i didn't even watch that one i couldn't stand the trailer (laughs) i mean 
there are things about it that are a lot of fun. I, I will definitely say that. Like, she has a lot of great chemistry with um, with uh, Samuel Jackson in, in his part of that movie. So, like, those parts are definitely worth watching to see them interact. But the big idea of the whole bo- movie, since you haven't seen it, is that essentially Captain Marvel is gaslit into helping this organization that is actually evil. <laughs> but the idea is that, that they are... a really good premise. It could be fantastic. And the entire thing is built around this idea that she is like somehow held back from using her her full potential by this organization and their gaslighting essentially. And so um throughout the movie you kind of get these flashbacks of of this uh all the times that she's put down for being a girl, right? Yeah. And at the end she gets all of her memory backs back and like shows all the times that she like had that happen and then stood back up and like kept at it no matter what despite you know the situation yeah and then she gets her superpowers and because she overcame the gaslighting but the problem is that she's acting exactly the same way that she has been acting throughout the entire movie like she Mm. has been essentially god mode throughout the entire thing and has not in any way felt like she was oppressed or anything like she has already kicked the main bad guy's ass in their training session because she's too powerful like yeah and so it the theme is not at all served by the actual events of the movie and if you're not just going to accept it because you want to agree with the message this is sending then it you can see where the the disconnect between those two are and where the serve the movie is not and the story is not serving the overall idea that they are trying to put forth yeah um and and i was concerned about podcasting this book because it is very difficult to be critical of a book like this and not come off as um, you have any, an issue with the message. Any of the is right, yeah. like mm-hmm. racist, transphobic, homophobic, um, right. ageist, classist, like whatever. And mm-hmm. those those aren't the actual issues that I have with this book. Like mm-hmm. it's ex- execution of it. It's yeah. the it's the execution of those things. Like because those things are real and painful and and like I wanted that from this book I wanted to feel like yes even in utopia there are still monsters because people are people and it's hard to be a person like yeah I wanted I wanted that story and I Mm -hmm. don't feel like I got that from this book and I was disappointed because yeah there were so many things especially because it is it is diverse voices, and I was excited about that because there's sure. more of that available. But it's kind of like how you can't say bad things about Christian films when you're a Christian, even though they <laughs> suck. I definitely can. Oh, now. I can. I can now. But like, like you can't go watch no, yeah. Fireproof and then be like. You know, like there are all of these storytelling issues <laughs> with fireproof. <laughs> like, no, you have to bow down before the shrine of fireproof. Like, <laughs> Michael, you may have noticed I'm not good at that. <laughs> I hadn't noticed, Rick. I, I have never called you an asshole to your face. <laughs> never, not once. <laughs> like, I've never taken it as a compliment. <laughs> no, never. Nor the time I called you a sociopath. um it was really just your sociopathic level of calm not not that you're an actual sociopath (laughs) 
I was going to jump out of a plane at the time and not terribly nervous about it. So that's that's understandable. That was I think we're at a place where we can probably get into our, our final, final thoughts. thoughts. Would yeah. you like to yeah. do you want to go for that first or you want me to? Um, I, I picked this book, so I will go last and I'll let okay. you I'll let you go ahead and share your final thoughts. OK, um, I think that pet itself is my favorite part of this book mm. um, I think that the writing is really strong and I would I would probably pick that if pet were not such a interesting character I think that the way that pet exists in this book is fascinating as a creature and I think that there are a lot of really cool twists to it because a lot of times you know it can be really easy to have a um, I guess sort of imaginary friend type being yeah. in a story where it it feels very human and pet very much does not no. feel human at all pet and never I'm feels human impressed. and i appreciated that yeah and i'm always impressed when a writer can take a creature that is not human and make it feel distinctly not human while not having to lean on some trope of like they can't communicate for whatever reason or right. that kind of thing like it, it very clearly has an ideology has a purpose has a has wills and desires but it's not also hive mind very much like yeah but is not human at all. And I, I like that. And I think Pet is a, a fascinating creature and really fun to deal with throughout the story. Um, my least favorite part of this book is... <sighs> okay, so from a writing perspective, my least favorite part is the... Um, the uh, the way that the characters lack agency in my mind. They don't have yeah. a lot of choice. They they just kind of float through, and this is very much not Jam's story. So all of that kind of... Uh, but I've already talked about that. But my real least favorite part, if I'm honest, is like this feels like propaganda for a movement that really would not deal well with me or kindly <laughs> with me. You um, would only be is, re re-educated... Rick, my, Michael, do I seem like the type of person who would handle that well? You would die during re-education, but yes, but yeah. somebody I, would really enjoy bashing your skull in. Yeah, exactly. This it is it is difficult for me, and I I think that I have done as good a job I can of coming to this book at its level and trying to to deal with it as non emotionally as I can, <laughs> but it to me distinctly comes to me as a like hey violent revolution is not only good it's really good and you should definitely do it also vigilante justice is pretty fun too why don't you try that out a little bit <laughs> and like jesus like it's not exactly it is, a message is... for our times right now <laughs> no no matter which and, end of the political spectrum you're on violent and, revolution is not my favorite choice <laughs> and it never goes like this. It is never like, oh, we did the violent revolution and everyone was happily lived happily ever after. Like that's not how it works. Right. Um and so it is really hard for me to give this anything but a zero because the the message that underlies the actual message it wants to tell yeah. is repulsive to me. Um but the writing style is pretty good. So because Pet is interesting, I am going to give this a um, one faux Spanish Inquisition out of five. <laughs> but good God, it is difficult for me to overlook the fact that I feel like this author wants me violently murdered. <laughs> <laughs> or at the very least would be like, if it happened in, in the name of the glorious revolution, would be like, eh, 
Okay. Acceptable losses. Uh, okay. My turn. Um, <laughs> boy. Well, I guess I'll do least favorite things first so we can try to end on positive here. Sure. Um, <laughs> I'm also glad that I didn't go first for that reason. Yeah. So my my least favorite thing about this book is is in part just my own disappointment with not getting the story that I thought I was getting. I, I was looking forward to a, um, a dystopia, a a utopian dystopia where Mm -hmm. a, a, an interesting and like neurodiverse character was Mm -hmm. going to deal with the fact that again, being a human being is hard. We are complicated. We do shitty stuff to each other. And there's often no right answer for how to deal with how shitty we are to each other. Right. Like when you or, don't or have the additional right hurdles answer, of being neurodiverse. Yeah. And it's complicated. Like, yeah. um, and and this this book one of one of the things that I personally miss in dialogue right now with um people who differ from from my opinions is a willingness to say it's complicated. It, there, is, there is a polarization um, that is especially prevalent on the internet, but I even experience in my daily life where it's like everything is black and white on whoever mm-hmm. side you're on, and there's no complexity. There's no gray. Yeah. It's, well, you're a Republican, or you're a Democrat, or you're a socialist, or and therefore... All of these things are true for you. And there's no there's no ability to like say, well, this thing feels true for me, but but it's complicated. (laughs) Or or even I'm willing to hear you out and like have a conversation with you about like, hey, let's let's figure out what the difference is in our ideas. And maybe we can come together on on certain areas of that and see what works. Maybe we could be purple instead of red and blue. I don't know. Like and. And so that's something that I am personally, like, I love when I find stories that deal with that complexity. And it's something that I've looked for since I was a kid. I want to see why, because my life has been really complicated. It's not the clear black and white that I wanted. And so I like to find stories where things are, where I get a good black and white moral, Mm -hmm. but I don't get a good black and white story. And right. for me, this story oversimplified pretty much everything to a point of I couldn't even really feel like I was getting into the character because I was being told exactly how to experience everything. Um, right. So that was probably my least favorite part about this book is just it, even even as someone who is, whatever term you want to use, more of liberal, more left-leaning, more whatever, like, many of these ideas are things that, like, I I want to see a world where we can be more open to diversity of all types, like, mm-hmm. even as that person, this felt like propaganda. It didn't feel right. like a utopia, and it didn't feel like it was going back to a utopia by the end, but mm-hmm. I never got that eerie dystopian feeling either. Um, that I was looking for, because if, if that had been what I had gotten was we've created this utopia and it's, you know, a purge situation or it's a, 
giver situation or it's right. a V for vendetta situation. Like mm-hmm. if that's what I had gotten, I would have been here for it on this book. Um, sure. Yeah. That would have been a fascinating way to take it. Yeah. yeah. I would have been great. Um, but I didn't get that. And the characters by and large felt like pieces being moved around. Um, I also have some minor quibbles with just some editing issues where we were briefly in other characters' heads besides Jam, and it wasn't mm-hmm. clearly distinguished that we were going to be switching heads. That was that mm-hmm. was a minor quibble. Um, so least favorite thing was the the way the story was told. I guess the um, the oversimplification. The I'm all for allegory and I love fairy tales, but I am not a big fan at this point in my life of the moralizing story. Don't give me mm-hmm. that preachy Sunday school story. I don't mm-hmm. care which Sunday school you're, you're talking about, <laughs> whether, <laughs> whether it's the, this is exactly how Jesus thinks things are, or it's, mm-hmm. this is how social justice should look. I don't want that preachy story right. anymore. It's not complex enough. And that's how yeah. this, this book felt. Um, yeah. Unfortunately. Um, my favorite thing, like, so I read this instead of listening to it. And stylistically, again, it's really cool. Um, mm-hmm. I, I've already mentioned, I love the biblical imagery in this. I'm a super huge Bible nerd, um, like uh, an absurd level of Bible nerd. And so like actually getting to have someone else agree with me about angels and how terrifying <laughs> they are was great. Like mm-hmm. the the like wings over the eyes. Like I haven't seen a an angel impression this this good since like Madeline Lingle in mm. her series with um, A Wrinkle in Time. So mm-hmm. in one of that one of the books in that series, there is a cherubim and it you know it has the wings covered in eyes and it's 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 good, but it's scary. Like, and, right, yeah. and I, I love that. Um, so pet and the, the biblical overtones, um, especially because I expected from the way this book was set up religion to be so demeaned, um, mm-hmm. to see this like kind of appreciation for the art of the Bible, I guess was really sure. fun. So I loved that. I, I loved the accents and the dialects and the, the ways that people spoke and the way that that was conveyed. I felt like Messi did a really good job with that. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, like the, the way it was written, again, I read it in two sittings. It's a breeze to read. Um, and from a writing perspective, like I got some cool ideas about how to convey like thoughts and stuff like in in head speech and sure yeah um and even just like conveying neurodiversity um there were some some really cool ways of how she could experience her own house and just the subtle shifts of emotion and and like i can tell if my husband is mad like from half a room away right like Uh, okay (laughs) when you started this and as i was like most people can tell if someone is bad. No, no, okay. no. Like, no, I get like, it now. I yeah, can yeah. walk into a room with him and and like 
get a, a, a read on the room. Sure, so like yeah, the yeah, fact yeah. that she yeah. can do that with her whole house, like, yeah, that is that, a cool idea. It was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. So I think my favorite thing is, is one, the biblical imagery pet pet was just a really cool character or mm-hmm. could have been with another edit. Um, but the biblical imagery was beautiful and exhilarating. Um, and the writing style was, was fun. I enjoyed reading it, especially because it didn't read like classic white female author, um, mm. which I've read a fair amount of recently. So <laughs> it, it was a nice, it was a pleasant change. Um, so yeah, that was probably my favorite thing. I really, I wanted to give this book a good rating. Um, because I'm the one who picked it and I tend to give the books that I pick terrible ratings. So to all of the authors whose books I have picked, I'm very sorry. Um, write better books next time. Um, I personally apologize for nothing. (laughs) Um, but, but the overall message of this book is at best, unclear and at worst problematic um and and it just has too many things where i was like that could have been really good and it wasn't um <laughs> yeah okay there's an immense amount of potential in this book for oh, sure. it's got a beautiful set of bones and again the writing there's some places that i'm just like mm, yes um, so I'm hemming and hawing, trying to come up with a rating. Um, <laughs> ugh, yeah. Mm. For its writing style, it's beautiful biblical imagery and it's diverse cast of characters. I'm going to give it one and a half, um, very terrifying uh razor blade paintings <laughs> out of five with All the right. caveat that there are some deeply problematic themes there are some themes that are implemented in a deeply problematic way in this book and as such i'm not sure i i certainly could not recommend it to children no, no, not, no, I could. I would not even dream of doing that. Um, but if if you want to find some more deeply problematic themes, <laughs> uh, you can find them at uh, through the rest of our podcasts. You can find more of us on our website at opinionatedpodcast.com. You can find us on Twitter at OpinionCast. Uh, you can look at us up on Facebook at Opinionated Podcast. You could also, if you have any requests for us here on the, the book side of things or for our usual movie review episodes, you can email us at opinionatedmoviereviews.com or I'm sorry, opinionatedmoviereviews at gmail.com. Um, we, we, we try to do, do a lot of stuff around here uh, and I don't really know how to end this because usually Josh does and I'm not paying attention at this point. Um, <laughs> if you leave a chance, please leave us a rating on iTunes. It really helps us reach out to listeners uh, and, and that, is, that is very helpful. But um yeah, I, I had a good time discussing this book, even though I had such issues with it. And, and that at least is it makes the, the experience of reading it worthwhile to me, I think. Yeah, I was honestly really nervous going into this one because I, again, like I'm, I'm the liberal on this team. And <laughs> I was afraid I was going to have to defend some things that I didn't want to defend in order to, 
to make it clear that there are some things that I'm just not okay with. But it turns out that the things that we are not okay with in this book were pretty in line. <laughs> Good. I'm glad about that. Because I was really worried that I was going to come in here and be like, uh, there's some serious issues in here <laughs> and, and get pushback on that. But I, I, I think that we're, we're in agreement where those, those problems lie. And, you know, yeah, again, if, if, if people listening right. to this have issues with that, come yell at me. I, I can, I, I'll deal with that. <laughs> I, I don't mind having my opinions challenged. And if there's something that I, I think that you think I need to change, you're, you're welcome to come find me on Twitter. I, I always like arguing there. So I'm, not on any social media right now, but if you send a nasty email to the opinioncast at gmail.com, uh, Rick can forward it to me and I will be happy to respond. I already told you, I like complexity. I'm looking for a world that is more diverse, not more black and white. So <laughs> yeah, bring it on folks. Well, well I think that is a, a good place to end it. Um, so uh, let's, let's go ahead and, and roll it out of here. So, one, Until two, next two. time. Until next time. We're opinionated. Thanks for this.